The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Dynamic Pet Pet Duo. You are listening to the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in pet talk radio. We welcome our listeners who tune in each week from around the world. This week on the show, I'm talking about the 16 brands of dog food that may be tied to a higher risk for pet heart failure. Additionally, Pet Hub Vice President Laurent Clement is here to talk about July as lost Pet Prevention Month. This important information will be found in segment number four. And also in segment number three, it may be embarrassing, but Doc and I are talking about analyzing your cat's poop with veterinarian Dr. Jan Kudolowski. And in Flex Facts, I'll be answering your questions about the best way to cool off your pets. That's in segment two with our Celebrity Pet News. And now let's kick off our show by talking about manatees. Human activities are harming manatees, and only our compassion and action can protect them. So joining us today to talk about manatees and their survival is Patrick Ross, aquatic biologist and executive director of the Save the Manatee Club. So, Pat, welcome to the Pet Buzz. I'm so happy you're here visiting with us for a little bit and talking about manatees. Well, really glad to be here. So tell me a little bit about the Save the Manatee Club. Who are the founders? How did it get started? Well, the founders are Jimmy Buffett, you know, the singer mm-hmm. and, and writer, and our Governor Graham at the time, and that started in 1981. It's kind of interesting because Governor Graham took his daughters to a, a Buffett concert, and after the concert behind the scenes, uh, Jimmy asked the governor what more could be done to help the endangered manatee. And voila! The club was founded. <laughs> From there, the governor appointed a, a committee. And in fact, I was one of those original uh, committee members as the scientific advisor for the Save the Manatee Committee that did transition into the Save the Manatee Club ultimately. And here we are more than 38 years later, and uh, we've done a lot, but there's an awful lot more to do. Well, you know, I'm going to ask you a really basic question because, you know, this show is syndicated, so people all over the country listen to it. But I know people are thinking in their mind, what's a manatee? Because <laughs> a lot of people aren't familiar if they don't if they haven't been to Florida and they haven't been to the coast down here. So can you tell us a little bit about manatees? Absolutely. So manatees are marine mammals, although they can be in freshwater, estuarine, and even in salt water. So, but they're a vegetarian in that sense. The, they eat aquatic plants, and that's uh, the way they survive. They can grow over 12 feet and over 3,000 pounds, but wow. might average more like 10 feet and 1,200 pounds. They're very long lives. They can live more than 60 years, but sadly, the average age of death is actually closer to probably 10 years because there's so many man-related problems. I just can't believe they're almost, they can be almost as much as 3,000 pounds, and they and they're ve- and they're vegetarian. That's crazy. You think they'd be a little slimmer? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You would think if you saw them underwater, and of course things look actually a third larger if you have a mask on and you see it. So if you were seeing a, a manatee that was three thousand pounds, you'd, you'd get a little bit nervous because <laughs> they're 
they are so large, but really there's not a more gentle animal in the world. They just don't have the ability to be aggressive or try to harm anyone. The most that might happen is the, the mother of a calf might actually swim between you and the calf to protect it, but they wouldn't try to attack you in any way. So tell us where you find manatees and why why this makes them so vulnerable. Being vegetarians, they're mm-hmm. going to have to be and feed where plants grow. Mm-hmm. And, and plants can only grow to a certain depth if they're those that grow from the bottom, so it's going to be near shore. So you're not going to find them out in the deep ocean. You're going to find them in those same waterways where people like to recreate and, and go fast with their boats and, you know, just involved. And speaking of boaters, that, that is one of the, the leading causes of manatee mortality. Most every manatee has their scars from being hit. But we don't, we don't see the boater as the enemy. We see them as someone we need to work closely with. I'm a boater personally, and there are many different ways we reach out to boaters to ask them to help protect manatees because it is such a serious problem. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with Patrick Rose, aquatic biologist and executive director of the Save the Manatee Club. You know, we're so glad that you're here talking about this very, very interesting topic. So from what I understand, a lot of manatees died in 2018 last year. Um, Were most of them watercraft injuries? Well, most of them were not, but uh, there were 122 that were killed by watercraft, and sadly, that's the ones that actually we know were killed by watercraft. There were at least 25 others that were rescued as a result of being struck by watercraft. But there were also, during 2018, we had more than 200 manatees die from red tide exposure. So red tide is basically a planktonic organism that can bloom in great numbers. They have um, toxins that they produce, and they can not only kill manatees, but kill fish by the hundreds of thousands and, and you know, burn your eyes if you're near the water sure. and so forth. So, but fortunately, that doesn't happen every year. The watercraft mortality has been getting worse year after year. Well, so many people around the country do boat. And if they come down to Florida, because our fans and our listeners know that uh, we're based in Florida. But if you are in a ma- an accident with a manatee or you see a sick or young manatee alone, what should you do? It's very important to, at that point, if you're able, it would be to call the Fish and Wildlife Commission at the telephone number is 888-404-3922. If you have a cell phone, and which you probably would if you were on the water, you can actually dial star FWC or pound FWC if you're in Florida and on a cell phone. I think that's a great idea to have that number in your cell phone if you are a boater in Florida. I think that's really important. So thank you for sir, bringing that to light. Planning ahead is really important when you go boating anyway. You want to have your own safety equipment, you know, life vests, paddles, horns, and all those that are required by law. But And we also provide stickers that can go right on the near the gunnel of the, of the, of the boat or near the you know, throttle and so forth that can remind them of those things as well if they get into that situation. So how are communities in Florida helping to save the manatee? Well, the areas, the counties particularly, where manatees are most often there and have had the greatest problems, have worked together with the state of Florida to adopt what are called manatee protection plans. And so we try to combine an understanding of where it's most important to have protective 
speed zones, if you will, where voters need to slow down and watch out for manatees because they're most likely to be there. Also, other we provide signs to, to the residents to put on their docks and so forth to remind other voters that manatees are likely to be there. We have banners and a number of other things. But also in terms of the development projects and so forth, it's also important to be aware that there's only so many so much activity that can go in a certain place in order to uh, allow those, you know, fun things and development, but at the same time have a sustainable growth in those areas. So the Manatee Protection Plan help that growth to be sustainable. Now, what about individuals? How can our, what can our listeners do to help? One of the things they can do is go to our website because we have a tremendous variety of things that people can do to help, and that's just savethemanatee.org. And there they'll be able to see we actually have more ways to help. They can do that, and there's a whole list of things that will drop down. They can actually sign up for our action alert. Uh, so we can, by email, we can inform them of important things that are going on and different ways they can help if they're inclined to donate or adopt a manatee. Well, I can tell you this is so interesting. And, Patrick, Dr. Fleck and I want well, to adopt a manatee. Hopefully we can afford it. So I can have my own manatee. Well, I'll, I'll share. I'll be more than happy to share. That was Patrick Rose, aquatic biologist and executive director of Save the Manatee Club for more information and for you guys to adopt or boaters to get that information. Go to savethemanatee.org. You want to stick around with me because a little later I'm going to talk about my I likey of the week and I have to tell you it has to deal with cleaning my carpet. And next up, Let's talk about cooling off your dog. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. We first heard about EpiPet at our local rescue shelter where our family adopted Lucy, a 10-year-old yellow lab. She was in tough shape, but we noticed within just a few days how soft and thick her coat was getting. She has more energy now, loves to chase her favorite tennis ball, and most importantly, how happy and healthy Lucy is now. We could not be happier. Thanks, EpiPet! To order better pet health for your dog or cat, just visit epi-pet.com. That's epi-pet.com. My name is Michelle Schaefer. I'm the mom of three boys, and I'm from Haddonfield and North Wildwood, New Jersey. I met Aladdin through my work with Lilo's Promise Animal Rescue, and I foster the emaciated dogs that come into our program. Aladdin came to us. He had been dumped at the side of the road. He weighed about 18 pounds. He had broken bones, other wounds, and he was missing 12 teeth. He was the worst abuse case I had ever seen. The most moving experience that I've had while working with Aladdin were when we were first responders at the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida. And Aladdin usually works off leash. He was on leash that night and he led me over to a very specific person. And here that man had been in the nightclub the night of the shootings. He and Aladdin shared a very special moment that really made me cry. Aladdin has changed the way I see the world in a million different ways. The main thing is to treat people with kindness and compassion. My name is Michelle Schaefer. 
and Aladdin and I are individuals. This show is hosted by the Dynamic Pet Duo. I'm pet friendologist Charlotte Reed. Well, a new book is getting a lot of pet buzz. It's called A Letter to My Dog. Well, in this book, celebrities are writing odes to their beloved pooches, notable names like Michael Varton, Hilary Duff, Christian Tenoworth, Ken Pave, and a few others that a few more have penned. But don't let celebrities do all the gushing. You can write a letter to your dog and post it on our social media channels. We would love to share how you feel about your dog. We might even read it on air. So even Email us how you feel about your dog, pen that letter, and send it to team at thepetbuzz.com. And now I'm going to answer your questions about how to get your dog cool. So many people have been writing in because the temperatures are soaring and pet owners really need to take steps to cool off the dog. The summer months can be so uncomfortable. They can be dangerous, not only for pets, but for people. So... I'm going to use my experience to tell you what I think is a great thing. So the first question came from Claire from Wisconsin. She writes, why is it important for your pet to drink water throughout the day during the summer months? Well, Claire, July is Hydration Awareness Month, and your dog's body will naturally lose water all day. He loses water when he sweats through his paws, when he pants, and when he pees and poops. A good rule of thumb is make sure your dog gets at least one ounce of water daily for each pound he weighs. For dogs on the go, try Loving Pets products Bella Romanables. They're PBA-free. They fold flat. They're dishwater safe. They lock in place. They have legs for sturdiness and a carabiner to take you wherever you and your pooch go. Okay, my second question is from Mike from L.A. He wants to know if coat condition contributes to a cooler dog. Thanks so much for asking that question, Mike. So you got to know, in hot, humid weather, fleas and ticks thrive and survive. So if your dog's coat is dirty and parasite-infested, the fur will not work to keep your pet's insulated from the soaring temperatures. You need to recognize that parasites pose a serious health risk to your pets, but also to your health. So you don't have to break the bank by buying, you know, vet products, vet parasite products. Look for alternatives like the Vitality Flea and Tick Collar and Topicals because they kill ticks, fleas, larvae, and eggs, as well as biting flies for dogs and cats of all sizes. The brand offers the same efficacy, as leading veterinary products because they use the same quality ingredients for dogs and cats at a fraction of the cost. Shop the Vitality brand at your local pet specialty shop all year long. You can also check them out on Vitality.com. That's V-E-T-A-L-I-T-Y.com. Okay, so Melissa from Lakewood Ranch writes, if we have an active on-the-go lifestyle, how can we keep our pets cool? Well, Here we go. I've got some product recommendations for you, Melissa. The Cooler Dog brand creates cooler products that help dogs stay safe and are more comfortable in the heat. The best part is they're affordable. So in addition to hydration, that's one way to keep a dog cool, the two other methods to protect a dog from the heat are physical cooling and shade. So one of the things you might want to think of is the cooling vest, the cooling collar, and the cooling mats, as well as a pop-up shade oasis. The pop-up shade oasis is really not a containment center, but it's just a temporary shelter 
it's interesting because the gray fabric blocks about 80% of the UVA rays. So UVA rays or UVB rays can be very harmful. Now, the mat, which is a great cooling mat, is made of chew-resistant ripstop and offers 10 times more cooling power than gel pads. You snap them together if you have a large dog. I don't know what kind of dog you have, but you can snap them together. And they're great because they're chew-proof. They actually offer about four or five hours per frozen sheet indoor and two to three hours outside. So that's pretty good. Now, the cooling vest and collars come in four sizes. That's extra small, small, medium, and large. And the cooling goes under the dog. It covers like the organs, the belly and the chest. And you shove those with ice sheets and they last about 30 minutes. So you want to be prepared because really you shouldn't be having your dog out in this really, really hot weather. So if you are prepared, you'll have another ice uh, sheet of ice trays, and then you stick another one in about 30 minutes. So you can use their Flexi Cooler to store ice sheets and inserts for the vest and the collar. So check out CoolerDog.com. Okay, so Craig from Tallahassee, Florida writes, how can we keep canine play fun and cool? Okay, Craig, well, I always say get chilly with Chuck It. So make fetch happen on land and in the water with highly visible hydro and amphibious dog toys. They're really great because they're soft on the mouth, and these toys encourage daily exercise. Here's the best part. They're fun for pets and their owners. Their bumpers and shark fins can be used either by tossing or you can use the shark fin with the classic Chuck It launcher. And hydro toys are designed to store and release water during play. So I posted a video on our social media channels, and if you've seen my Fox and Friends show, you'll be able to see that too. So check those hydro and amphibious dog toys out on PetMate.com. Okay, so Joan writes from Rye, New York, what provisions need to be made for smaller dogs when out and about? Okay, well, I've got a hot solution to cool off your toy dog. So when the sidewalks are sizzling toy dog owners, they need a solution for their smaller pets because they're so low to the ground, it gets so hot. So the Paco pet is the answer. It's a lightweight pet carrier for everyday adventure and unexpected emergencies for dogs that are 15 pounds and under. It's a fold-up carrier with attached pouch. And it's really, when it's all folded up, it's smaller than a deck of cards. It's easy to carry in your purse or pocket. It also attaches to your leash wherever you go. So check it out. It's the PacoPet.com. Okay, my last question is from Ed from North Carolina. He wants to know about sunscreen protection. Well, I'm going to tell you, UVA rays, that's UVA A and UVA B, rays harm people and pets. So don't let your pet go out without his sunscreen, especially if he's white, short-haired, low to the ground, or a breed that is prone to skin cancer, like Keyshawn Standard Schnauzers, Basset Hounds, Collies, Dalmatians, Bull Terriers, and Beagles. Well, EpiPet is the only FDA-compliant sunscreen on the market. It's contained in a sports bottle with a valve, so you can turn the bottle upside down and spray your pet all over. Check it out at EpiPet.com. Okay, so check out our Pet Buzz social media pages, and you will see all the products that I'm talking about. There's a blog post up there. But up next, I'm talking Celebrity Pet Buzz. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. 
We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. I'm pet expert Charlotte Reed, and I want to remind you how important it is to protect your pet against fleas, ticks, and mosquitoes with preventative tablets and topicals. By giving your dogs and cats preventative meds throughout the year, you are protecting your pet from Lyme disease, heartworm, flea allergies, worms, and more, causing unwanted and costly vet bills. Most importantly, these parasites can infiltrate your home, causing you and your family's health to be compromised. Remember, healthy pet healthy you sure i'm a little rough and tough somebody's got to me i like the outdoors camping boating riding in your truck with my head out the window yeah i'll poop outside doesn't everyone a person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet be that person adopt does your pet have dry flaky and itchy skin do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? I love animals and want my pets to be healthy. So I asked our vet who recommended EpiPet Ear Cleaner. It's super simple and it even smells good. Every week I use it on both my dog and my cat to gently remove wax and debris. <laughs> I even told my friend Aiden to try EpiPet on his dog Sophie who always had red ears. But not anymore. Now we both have happy and healthy pets. Thanks, EpiPet. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm petronologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. So what's the I likey of the week? That's the way it has to be because that's the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. I love it. I like it. It's to die for. I like it. Well, the Ileki of the week is the Bissell Big Green Professional Carpet Cleaner. And it achieves a whole new level of clean by outcleaning the leading rental carpet cleaners. It's got a powerful motor, an extra large power brush to pull out the deeply embedded dirt. And it has two tanks to keep the clean and the dirty water, but they're separate for easy cleanup and a few trips to the sink. It's got a five-year warranty. But most importantly... It's a godsend for me with Hammy and Wally, our two English toy spaniel puppies who occasionally pee and poop. But really, this leads me to my next discussion, which is all about poop. Joining us today is Jen Sokoldowski, DVM, an associate professor and associate director of the GI Lab at Texas A&M College of Veterinary Medicine and Biomedical Science. So, Dr. Sokoldowski... Welcome back to the Pet Buzz to talk about poop. Thank you. Great to be back. You know, some pet owners are reluctant to collect a stool sample when, when the time comes for their yearly examination. So why is it important? Well, actually, 
stool can tell a lot about the well-being of an animal. Often, abnormal stool can be the very first sign of a disease process. We can test the stool for infectious agents, especially for parasites. So, for example, when you bring stool to your annual wellness exam of your cat, if the veterinarian identifies parasites, they can treat it right then as an easy treatment and prevents future disease. You know, I'm glad he brought that up because I find a lot more people, and you can tell me if this is true, Dr. Fleck, do you find that more dog owners bring dog poop or cat owners bring cat Yeah, poop? it's sometimes very difficult to get uh, stool samples from cats. Okay, so that's why this interview with Dr. Jan is so important. Really important. So, Dr. Jan, tell us, what does healthy cat poop look like, and when is it best to observe it? Well, I would observe it every day you clean your litter box. A healthy poop is usually formed. It looks like a log shape, like a log, a tree log. It shouldn't be too loose. It should be not too hard. Some people say it has the consistency of like clay. What, what I found very useful for our owners is to use a so-called fecal score chart. Those could be obtained on the internet, or maybe you can even ask a veterinarian if he has one available. But those are like a small pictures, and they can give a score to the different shapes and uh, sizes of, of poop and tell you, like, if it's normal or abnormal. And that really helps owners a lot to say, okay, I have a score like this, and a veterinarian can better appreciate how it looks like. Then I would look at the color. The color is typically dark brown. You don't want to have it too black. That can be a sign of potentially blood in the GI tract. You also don't want to be too light. That could potentially lead to some non-digestible, like liver disease and so on. So those descriptions will be also useful to note and then, if they're abnormal, tell your veterinarian. I have to get one of those instruments. Yeah, I mean, this way you're, I mean, you know, it's, this way they can come in with their score. Yeah. Hi, I got a cat, yeah. po- I got a cat poop, poop score. score. What's like a normal score? <laughs> yeah, and sometimes nowadays also with cell phones, it might be wise to take a picture if you think it's abnormal. Excellent idea. idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, everyone's on their cell phone and snap and pick, take a snap, a selfie of your cat, cat and his poop. Yeah. Well, here, here's another question, and this one is perplexing to me all the time. Multiple cat ownership. So they want to bring in a poop sample. What's the strategy for folks bringing in poop for a specific cat with multiple oh, cats? Yeah, I can see that's often quite challenging. First of all, I would ask the veterinarian why. Because sometimes if it's a wellness exam, it might be actually okay to bring a few random samples. Because often if we think if we have parasites, Often, or probably most cats would have it because they share the household. However, if you suspect that your cat has disease, then it's really important to really get the stool from this specific cat. And I don't really think there's a really easy way of doing that. But sometimes if you observe a cat's schedule, you might be actually able to say, okay, now it goes at this time to the bathroom, so maybe that's an easy way of collecting it. It's actually quite often possible this way but in the end, if that's not possible, I think the only way is to try to isolate your cat. It has to be in a single room, and hopefully it can be able to make the litter box. That would be the most safe approach of getting that. But I appreciate that sometimes it might be challenging because those cats feel uncomfortable if it's changed their routine. Absolutely, and routine is so important to cats. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with Dr. Jan Sudolowski from Texas A&M College of Veterinary Medicine and Biomedical Sciences about identifying healthy versus abnormal poop. So what if the poop is small and like hardballs? That's a very, very important observation. I think cats 
are prone to some degree to constipation. And small hard balls of poop, especially when the cat strains and has difficulties of, of letting the poop uh, go, is really a serious sign. And if you observe this for a few days in a row, I would definitely contact the veterinarian because that's a sign of constipation. And reasons for constipation can be dehydration, but often it can also be a sign of a more systemic disease. Sometimes with uh, diabetes, it can be neurologic symptoms. So it's really very important to truly contact a veterinarian about that. I would not let it go too long. Now, sometimes it's also a sign of age. Some cats have more pain, so they can have a colon obstruction. And obese cats have a higher risk of, of passing heart tools. But again, if you observe that, it's definitely worth contacting veterinarian because it can really be a mild cause, but it can also be a very, very crucial sign of more serious disease. Well, let's go to the other extreme. What about uh, loose stool or diarrhea? Well, diarrhea is also quite common, obviously, in cats. And again, it depends on the consistency of the area. So again, what we talked before, it's very important to look at the shape, look at the, the color of the diarrhea, does it have blood, does it have mucus, because all of those could be signs of different diseases. For example, if it's blood, it can be infection. If it's mucus, we have a lot of parasites who can cause that. So again, important to observe it, important to potentially take a sample and bring it to within the area and discuss it, the shape and the duration of those signs. Now, what if your cat has diarrhea for more than two days? I mean, should I take it to my vet? I would definitely contact the veterinarian and make an appointment. Sometimes, like acute diarrhea often is one of those signs that can be self-limiting. So sometimes it takes one or two days for diarrhea to stop. However, if it goes beyond that, I would definitely contact the veterinarian. And again, especially if, you, if it looks different in color. So blood is always a concern. Mucus can be a sign of chronic disease. So if it's a longer duration than a few days, I would definitely contact the veterinarian and make an appointment. You know, I love having this conversation about poop. I mean, it's, I mean, like it sounds crazy, but it's something so small. Like, like you both said, it's something that you can just observe and get a read on your cat's health. Which brings up another simple question to ask. And that is, I tell people to bring in stool samples. How do they collect it? Uh, this different ways, obviously. Uh, we always recommend to simply collect it from the litter box. Ideally, the stool sample should be not too long after the cat defecated. I think a couple of hours is fine, but I would not make it too long. Advantage of the litter box is obviously the cat makes in there. A little disadvantage is that the litter often sticks to the poop. So if you take a poop sample from the litter box, please make sure that you can remove as much litter as possible. <laughs> Don't you think you're asking a little too much? <laughs> well, the problem is that often if you have too much litter, it kind of dries out the fecal sample, and sometimes it can change the interpretation of our test results. Now, if that's not possible, and you really think, sometimes what you might consider maybe have a litter box with just a uh, newspaper, if that's really something urgently. And if maybe the cat goes in there, then we, we don't have this contamination of the litter. So everyone but, but, scrape off the cat litter. I was just going to say, <laughs> most of my cat stools are more cat litter than cat stool. Yeah. Well, there, yeah. I, know, I mean, it's kind of funny. Like, you you know, you kind of have this, we're having this serious discussion about poop, of course, and we're kind of smiling from ear to ear, but 
No, I mean, that's, I think, because everybody is like, it's one of those topics that's kind of embarrassing to talk about, like your pet's duty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Very, very helpful. Dr. Sukodolsky, thank you again for joining us today. You're yeah. welcome. Well, that was Dr. Jan Sukodolsky, Associate Professor and Associate Director of the GI Lab at Texas A&M College of Veterinary Medicine and Biomedical Sciences. For more information, visit cvm.tamu, that's tamu.edu. Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about Fido? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. I love two things, sports and my dog Chester. Where I go, he goes. To the beach, to play soccer, everywhere. We spend a lot of time together in the sun, so I always carry a can of EpiPet sunscreen. So Chester is protected from the sun's harmful UV rays. I just spray it on and I don't have to worry. Chester is protected, so I know my sports buddies can be with me for a long time. Thanks, EpiPet. Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. And joining us today to talk about lost pet prevention is Lorian Clemens, the Vice President of Marketing and Operation of Pet Hub. Lorian, thank you for joining us on the Pet Buzz this morning. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Well, let's start out and why don't you just tell us about Pet Hub? Happy to tell you about Pet Hub. So Pet Hub is an online service that links digital pet IDs to a pet profile, and then we provide a comprehensive suite of lost pet recovery tools to help your pet get home. It's really super cool. Yeah, we're that gonna is. Fi- we're going to find a little bit more about Pet Hub a little later on. I'm really curious, how many pets are lost each year? Well, the statistics are pretty daunting, actually. It's estimated that one in three pets goes missing during their lifetime, and according to the American Humane Society, that equates to about 10 million pets going missing every year. Wow, 10 million pets every year. That's a lot of pets. So, basic question, but I think really important for you to answer for us, because our listening audience needs to know this. So, why should every pet owner have ID tags or ID for their dog? Well, a lot of parents that I talk to don't truly believe that their pets are ever going to go missing despite those statistics I just gave you. But the bottom line is the unexpected will happen. And a pet that has proper comprehensive identification is so much more likely to get home quickly. In fact, statistics show that animals that end up in shelters without proper current ID, less than 25% of dogs are reunited with their families and less than 5% of cats ever make it home. So it is critical that your pet has that ID. Okay, so let's talk about that ID tag a little bit more. What should be put on that ID tag and why is it important to have a digital ID tag? Is it a better alternative, that digital tag? Well, 
Uh, yes, I believe it is. We at Pet Hub obviously believe it is because that's what we do. But I want to start first with the fact that at Pet Hub, we actually recommend a multifaceted, comprehensive approach. It's like a stool. It has to have at least three legs or it's going to fall over. So we recommend first and foremost that the pet must have a collar with a current easy-to-read ID tag, and we do believe that external IDs that are digital are the best option. Usually the profile is free. That's true for Pet Hub, not true for all digital IDs, but most of them are. do have a free basic profile. And Pet Hub's IDs also have a 24-7 call center phone number that's printed on the tag. So there's somebody there 24-7 to pick up the phone and help your pet get home. And that's really comforting in case you have lost your pet at an awkward time, that just hearing mm-hmm. a human voice is actually keeps you a lot calmer than it would if you just got a voice recording. Trust me, if you lose your pet, the anxiety levels are high. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about tattoos. Do people still use pet tattoos as a form of identification? Well, some do. Um, they're used so often used quite a lot in show dogs and service dogs, particularly dogs that, for whatever reason, what their job is, means that they can't wear a collar all the time. Tattooing actually is an important uh, identification tool for those types of dogs. But, you know, there's, a, there's some drawbacks to it. Um, it's, a, it's a higher cost thing for a lot of people because of the vet um, care that's involved with getting the tattoo. There's a pain factor. Anybody that's had a tattoo themselves understands that even if the pet is under sedation while they're getting the tattoo, it hurts while it's healing. Plus, tattoos can fade and distort over time, and they often have to be retouched, which, again, leads to that discomfort for the pet. So it's, it's not on high on my list of options, but if you have a dog that um, is a, perhaps a working animal or an animal like a cat maybe that doesn't, will not wear a collar, tattooing is an option that you can explore. But you know what I never understood? Once you get the tattoo... Like, is there a, nobody mm-hmm. ever talks about the data registry for the tattoo. Like, if I grabbed, if I found a dog in the street and I looked, you know, under that hind leg where a lot of times they usually are, where do mm-hmm. I go? What do I do with that number? Do I take it to the vet? Well, is the vet going to tell me? Yeah, it depends. And that is, that is honestly one of the drawbacks for it. It's almost a little bit like microchips. You kind of have to go to a shelter or a vet then to get that looked up. So it's really more of a help, like, once you're getting them to the next level of care so to speak, of the shelter or the vet will then be able to, to help you identify what it is. It's not really helpful for the standard good Samaritan that finds them on the street. So give us a rundown on rabies tags and licenses. Okay, so in the United States, pretty much every single place that you're going to go, you are required to have your pet vaccinated with a rabies vaccination. It's a really important health thing. Most rabies vaccinations then come with a rabies tag that's usually linked to your veterinarian. Now, they're not the best for getting a pet home, but they are a great, you know, backup plan to have that tag on your animal because the person finding your animal could call the veterinarian. The veterinarian can look up the record that's connected to that rabies tag and then hopefully get them home. It's not the best. It's not as fast as a digital or a standard ID tag are. So let's talk about the pros and cons of microchipping. I don't want to talk about necessarily the health concerns, but just from the ID Mm. perspective. Well, so the the issue with microchips is they, it takes a lot of things going right for a microchip to get the pet home. However, at the end of the day, they are the ultimate safety net. And if your pet does not have one, you don't have that safety net. A collar can fall off. A tag can get torn off. Lots of different things can happen to that external ID tag that is usually the fastest, best way to get the pet home. So 
So you need to rely on the Good Samaritan knowing that a pet might have a microchip and then taking them either to a shelter or a veterinarian to get scanned. That's critical. Common Joe finding an animal on the street can't scan it with their smartphone. So once they get to the shelter or the veterinarian, they'll need to be scanned for the microchip. Now, there is actually situations that happen where microchips will actually migrate in the animal's bodies. Excuse me so for a second. Excuse right. me for a second, Lori. Yeah. Dr. Fleck, have you ever experienced that where the microchip is moved? Uh, we've taken x-rays and we found it back in the rear end. Really? Wow. Sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So my, my dog, Penny, who you might actually hear whining in the background because she thinks it's time for second breakfast. Um, when I took her in about four years ago, now <laughs> she's 15, but about four years ago, I took her in for her standard, um, you know, appointment with the vet yearly annual and they do a standard uh, microchip check every time and her microchip which we had noticed had gotten lower in her down her back the last time we've been in had like you said it was all the way down in her left right rump and you know she likes to roll on her back she's a boston terrier that's like her favorite thing to do is to roll so it had migrated over the year down to that back rump should a tech not know to scan the entire body and know that they might migrate, they might miss a, a, a chip if they're just scanning the upper scruff where the, it was originally put in. That's really important. Yeah, that's really important. The other thing I've heard is, you know, these scanners, they change all the time. I mean, there is a universal, mm-hmm. but not everybody has a universal scanner. And they're expensive, right? Those universal scanners can be expensive. And sometimes they have to be updated every year. And they cost anywhere around $1,000 sometimes. Interesting. So my last question is, Pet Hub, why can it get your pet home in hours? <laughs> well, there's a couple of reasons why. Most of it comes back to the fact that it links to this free online profile. It also links to a free 24-7 call center. Most of the animals that we get home, people didn't even know that they were missing. I can't tell you how many times we've talked to someone and they said, I think my pet's still at home. And we say, nope, they're actually six blocks away. <laughs> so Pet Hub gets pets home quickly because of all of these different services that we have that are pointing to this digital ID tag. So there's just a wealth of tools that help you get that pet home quickly. Lorian, thank you so much for joining us today. Could you please be so kind and give us your website? PetHub.com. Great. PetHub.com. That was Lorianne Clement, Vice President of Marketing at PetHub. For more information, visit PetHub.com. Oh, did you hear that? It's the bell. It's signifying time to wrap the show. Before we go, we want to give you a preview of next week's show. Next week, we're talking about sharks. That's right. George Burgess is back, our shark fan. We're going to talk about new books with Publishers Weekly, and Doghouse Repair Month. I know, we don't really have a doghouse that our dog sleeps in, and we don't encourage it because we think dogs are pack animals. They should be in the house. But I think it's interesting to talk about this uh, celebration in the month of July. But we want to give special thanks to our guests, Patrick Rose, Dr. Jan Kulalski, and Lorianne Clement. And, of course, we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin, coat, and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. If you have a question, write us at team at thepetbuzz.com. We'll cover it on our next show. Just so you know, you can follow along on our social media channels as the show airs. And if you've missed any portion of the show, visit our social media channels and listen to the linked podcast on Monday morning. You can also catch the show on Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify. 
Most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. We first heard about EpiPet at our local rescue shelter where our family adopted Lucy, a 10-year-old yellow lab. She was in tough shape, but we noticed within just a few days how soft and thick her coat was getting. She has more energy now, loves to chase her favorite tennis ball, and most importantly, how happy and healthy Lucy is now. We could not be happier. Thanks, EpiPet. To order better pet health for your dog or cat, just visit epi-pet.com. That's epi-pet.com.